2021 is just around the corner. You want to know how to get ready? You want to know what you should do to plan for it? Spend the next hour and 40 minutes with me, and you will be ready for whatever life has coming your way in 2021. If you're ready, I'm going to take you on the inside. That's right. You're going to get the inside business strategy that you need to be successful in 2021, and you're going to get it right now. This is the time when business really kicks into high gear, typically. There's two times during the course of the year when business kicks into high gear, and that is January 1st and Labor Day. Now, uh, having lived in New York for uh, 37, 38 years of my life, and then having lived down here now for 13 I will tell you that New York is a little different than uh, than Florida in that in in New York, this is the time when the kids go back to school, business really gets gets started again in earnest. In Miami in particular, July and August are awful, but the second week of August, things start to pick back up again. In fact, I usually take the entire month of August off and I usually retool everything I do in my business in July specifically because it's like the new year. Then halfway through December, everything dies again in everybody's business just about, and then January 1st, things pick back up. Now, this is different if you have a real estate practice. Obviously, people want to close their deals by the end of the year. Maybe in an immigration practice, people want to uh, finish their immigration work by the end of the year. But for the most part, January 1st and then after Labor Day really signals the beginning of what is the, the new year, and Labor Day on is the kind of like the stretch run to the second week of December. A little bit different this year, uh, at least in my business and in some of the law firms that I work with, July and August in a lot of places were extremely busy, and this was because obviously March, April, May of this year, people didn't know what was gonna happen. A lot of companies, if you're in the business to business space, reined in their spending during that time. A lot of organizations did not know what the pandemic had in store for them. They didn't know if they were going to get paid. They didn't know if their business was going to dry up permanently or go on hiatus for a year. So in the business to business world, I noticed and my clients who are in B2B started to notice things change get a little bit more accelerated in June, July, and then August. In my business, for example, I had the best July I've ever had since I've, since I've been in this business on my own, about 13 years, uh, and August was extremely strong. It wasn't my best August ever, but it was a very good August time period, and that's mostly because the people that I work with realize that their revenue may only be off a little bit if it's off at all, so... What you're facing now is you're facing a tale of two economies. If you are in the travel, tourism, hospitality sector, you're, the, the economy's terrible. It's, uh, it's probably at depression level, um, you know, depression level activity, uh, at least recessionary level activity, but most likely horrible, horrific level activity. Nationwide, the United States uh, hotel industry the hotel occupancy rate nationwide is up to about 50%. It had gotten down to about 
uh, at the end of March, the beginning of April, it's up to about 50% now. But that's not enough to sustain a, ho a hospitality business of any kind, a hotel, a resort, a golf course, a restaurant, okay? So that's one segment of the economy. The other segment of the economy is the business-to-business -business sector. And most business-to-business -business activities doing really well. The, the law firms that I work with and the law firms that I speak to on a regular basis, what I'm hearing is their business is off anywhere from 5% up to maybe 25%. And a lot of firms expect when courts open up again to recover all of that because there's gonna be pent up demand for litigation. Now, those of you who work in the real estate sector, I understand that there are some uh, obvious issues, evictions, foreclosures, all kinds of uh, issues. And those of you who work in New York City in the real estate sector, you already had a crap storm before this happened. So, I'm talking to about general all over the country. You're looking at a situation now where things may pick up a little bit and you can expect that the activity will pick up quite a bit. Um, just a quick mention, uh, Joy Gowdy mentions that uh, Airbnb is booming um, and I'm thrilled that, uh, that Airbnb is booming uh, because you know, that shows me that people are willing to travel if they can do it safely. And there'll be more about that down the road in this presenta presentation. So 2021 is going to approach very quickly. And I want you to plan and I want you to be ready for 2021. And I want you to capitalize on things that are happening. And we're going to act now so that we're in motion when the new year starts. Here's how this usually works, right? Every organization that I've ever been a part of that I wasn't in charge of would start their strategic planning in maybe the end of November, the beginning of December, right after Thanksgiving. And then their budgets and their plan would be approved maybe right after the first of the year. And then people would get into the office and be a little sleepy and things would really get going in like February, March, and the first quarter would be over already, okay? Organizations that I am in charge of and the people that I work with, we do our strategic planning in the fourth quarter and we do our strategic planning in the fourth quarter so that we can begin to implement some of the things that we want to affect the outcome of our business in the new year we can begin to implement those during the week between Christmas and New Year's, okay? While everyone else is out there sleepily planning, we're working, we're acting. Here's the thing you'll realize. If your strategic plan involves engaging people and getting them to do something for you, the best time to do that is in December when everybody's not doing anything. Your vendors, for lack of a better term, your partners, the people you're going to work with, will be happy to take your money in December and they'll be happy to get started on a project in December. And the reason is because everybody's starting their new projects after January 1, any project that you start from a vendor perspective, if you're starting an advertising campaign or a direct mail campaign or an email marketing campaign or anything that has to involve someone in a creative field or in an execution uh, role, those people, you wanna put them in motion in December because all their new work is gonna come on January 1. So what we're going to do today is I'm gonna to talk to you about 10 things that I think are going to have a huge impact on how we make decisions for 2021 
And then on Thursday, in our next session, that next education session, I'm gonna share 10 more things. These 20 things, I believe, will shape the activity that we plan for in 2021. Now, the day in between, Wednesday tomorrow, is our Q&A day. So if you're a member of the Inner Circle community, or you're a part of a law firm that's working with me and you're joining us today, you have the opportunity to join me for our Q&A session tomorrow. On the Q&A session, in the Q&A session tomorrow, you can ask questions about anything you hear today or anything at all related to the development of your marketing plan or the building, growing, and managing of your firm. Anything is, there's nothing off limits in the Q&A on Wednesdays, all right? Okay, so. What do you do with this information today, right? How do you use the program that we're talking about today? Well, those of you who've been through these programs with me before, if you're watching this on the video replay, watch it all the way to the end, pick one thing and do it, pick another thing, repeat. If you're not a member, you should join the Inner Circle Business Development Community. We learn, grow, and share referrals as a bonus, okay? This is mostly for the benefit of those of you who are watching this as a video replay. Maybe I sent this to you because I like you and you're watching this and you're not a member of the community. You gotta get involved because there's money to be made just by putting some of these ideas into action. All right, what we're gonna do today, I'm gonna share my predictions and the things you should do as a result of them. I'm gonna give you a detailed explanation for why I believe these things are going to happen. I want you to review and revisit them as you're doing your strategic plan. Now, members of the community, I'm going to work with you to put a strategic plan together for next year so you don't have to try and do this on your own, but I want you to understand some of the external forces that are going to be putting pressure on your business in 2021. Also, you don't have to agree with all of these predictions. In fact, if you only agree with one of them, we're better off because you'll be able to make an informed decision on some of the actions you're going to take as we head into a new year. All right, action number one. You may have heard the expression before, when there's blood on the streets, buy property, okay? That's a, a saying from, I'm not gonna get into it, but the idea is that contrarian investing and activity will rule the day. Now, I want you to think about something and I want you to think about it in a very objective way, okay? There are people out there who are trumpeting the demise of New York, particularly New York City, right? You read these articles and it's like Sodom and Gomorrah. There's people being shot in the streets. The homeless have taken over the hallways and doorways of Park Avenue apartments. And Times Square has reverted back to uh, a bastion for hookers and junkies, right? Obviously, those people did not spend any time in New York in the 70s, right? So overall, New York is probably one of the safest big cities in America. Crime is up compared to where it was at an all-time low. And I'm not going to argue about any of the politics of it because, quite frankly, I'm not really up on the politics and all the miscellaneous BS. Here's what I do know. People will always go to New York City, all right? People will always travel to Chicago. People will always travel to Los Angeles. When there's blood on the streets there, you need to think to yourself, this is the perfect opportunity to do one of two things. 
That is, get involved in some way in activity in those cities so that you can get in on the ground floor. My wife and I are looking at getting a uh, Pierre de Terre, we're getting a, an apartment in Manhattan now because whether the prices are low enough now or they're going to be lower eventually, it, this is the perfect time for us to get a place where we can go and spend a weekend, you know, once a month, spend three, four weeks every summer with the kids. We already go up there. I'm up there two weeks during the normal, two weeks each month during normal season uh, when, when there's no virus. So candidly, this is a great opportunity for people who want to either rent or invest in New York, okay? So here's what I'm telling you to do. I'm not telling you to go buy an apartment in New York or Chicago or LA. What I'm telling you is there are businesses in New York, in Chicago, in Los Angeles, in other places around the country that are currently now being trumpeted as the bastions of illegal activity, all right? That is overblown crap. I want you to reach out to those businesses and offer to help them in any way possible because there's money to be made there. I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I'm running an aggressive marketing campaign targeting law firms in New York and LA. I'm running an aggressive direct mail campaign targeting law firms in Chicago right now. And I'm offering them the opportunity to join this group, my inner circle group. I'm offering them the opportunity to participate in online events. And I will pick at least one of those cities between now and the end of the year to host my first live event when the pandemic ends. And I'm gonna have to anticipate, I'm gonna have to take a shot in the dark at when the pandemic is going to end and I'm going to schedule a live event. And I'm going to schedule it in one of those three cities. Why? Because in addition to wanting business because the pandemic will be over and things will uh, eventually get back to some sense of normalcy. There's also a pent up demand for people wanting to travel and go to events. But in addition to all that, there's been so much negative publicity around these cities that it would be a great opportunity to host a fantastic event in the Marriott Marquis in downtown Chicago, in the Marriott Eastside in New York, in the uh, Renaissance Hollywood in Los Angeles. I mean, I love when people tell me how horrible things are in New York or Chicago or Los Angeles. I love seeing those stories on the news because it's a great opportunity for me to book three or four events over the next five or six years in those cities at a huge discount, okay? Setting all of that aside, when the pandemic ends, you can be certain that Broadway and Times Square, that Hollywood and the studio tours that the Miracle Mile in Chicago will all be very well protected when tourism comes back. Take your families to those places and enjoy them while you can get them at a discount. This is not gonna last forever. Eventually, there will be a rationale to what happens in these cities. You will, things will clear up and Tourism will boom in those areas and stuff isn't going to be cheap. So action number one, if you do any events at all, plan an event in one of those cities. You can even plan it two years out if you want to be safe. You'll still be able to get a good deal. Uh, there are a couple of members of the community I can introduce you to who do event planning and they've helped me in the past. I can have them get in touch with you or you can get in touch with them yourself. 
In addition, reach out to companies in those cities because they could use help if you have a, a federal practice. Companies in those cities could definitely use help. There are very few people who are aggressively reaching out to people to connect with them, to help them during difficult times. I encourage you to reach out to those folks, target them for your business. Uh, a couple questions, let's see. Right here, I got a question from Steve. Do you think live in-person meetings will recover, particularly with the growing use of Zoom, et cetera? Steve Siegel, I'm taking you on the road with me. You're setting me up for a, a future slide, so bear with me, Steve. All right, action number two, <laughs> create a home studio. This is now your office, where you are meeting with me. This is your office now, okay? So if you don't wanna go back to your office, there's a pretty good chance you can stay right where you are and do a lot of your business from where you are now. My task for you is get the best equipment you can afford to make sure your connectivity is top notch. Get uh, the fastest internet connection you can. Get a cellular backup for your internet connection so that if you lose power, you have a cellular backup. It's super cheap. It's less than 50 bucks a month. I have a cellular, a mobile phone uh, as my backup. It's not a mobile phone, it's a modem, but I have a mobile modem as my backup. It's less than 50 bucks a month. I want you to be comfortable in your home studio. Get a comfortable chair. Feel good about where you're sitting. I want you to look good, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit, but I want you to look the part. I just read a study yesterday that 16% of people say they will work from home when the pandemic is over, all right? 16% of people say that they will work from home when the pandemic is over. And I also saw a study, I think it was two or three weeks ago, uh, that was funded by the Durst organization. And those of you who are on, a lot of you know Durst organization, they have a lot of office space that they rent to lawyers and the study funded by the Durst organization said, oh, lawyers, like 70% or 80% of lawyers want to return to the office. All right, here's the reality, okay? Based on the Dave Lorenzo unscientific study of, you know, 300 people that I talk to on a regular basis, right? If you're over, five, over 35 years old and you have a family, it's likely that 80% of those people in that group over 35 with a family want to work from where they are right now at home. They love working from home as long as their kids are occupied, like if school is in session, even, even if it's virtual school, if they're older kids or real school, if they're in school, those people over 35 with a family, they love working from home. Nobody likes an hour commute. Nobody likes an hour and a half commute, okay? If you're under 35 and you're single, work is a big part of your social life. So you want to have an office to go to, all right? Here's what I see happening in the future. You will be able to refuse in-person meetings in the future. You will be able to work from home as long as you want. And if your company is not offering that option to you, it's gonna be a competitive disadvantage for them. So whether the company has office space or not, and some companies are going to elect not to have office space, but whether the company has office space or not, you will always be able to work from home. So make your home space as comfortable and as functional as possible. Make sure you're comfortable with this. 
Make sure you're comfortable being online and connecting to other people, okay? You can charge a premium, if you'd like, to have in-person meetings, right? Once this is over, once the pandemic is over and people go back to meeting with other people and, you know, there's, this virus is gone, we don't have to worry about it, you'll be able to charge a premium for in-person meetings. My personal strategy for 2021 is to do 90% of my work like this in a studio environment. And in the second half of the year, if there are people who want to meet me in person, as long as it's safe from a virus perspective to do so, those people will pay a huge premium to have me come to their office or to meet with them in a one-on-one -on -one setting. I will do it. I'm not afraid to do it. As long as there's a vaccine and I've got the vaccine and the vaccine is safe and it works, I'll go meet with people, but it's going to cost them a premium. The same thing should be in place for you. Even if someone says, I just want to come to your office and bounce some ideas off of you, make them pay a premium to do that. It's no longer the standard to meet with people in person in any business other than massage parlors, met, even medical practitioners. If you don't need a physical exam, telehealth is here to stay, okay? So really, massage parlors and probably acupuncture, those are the only people who really need to meet in person anymore. Otherwise, everything or 90% of everything can be done this way. Embrace it, enjoy it. If it has to be done in person, when there's a safe way to do so, my advice to you, plan and charge a premium. All right, action three. Some of you are gonna hate this. I've said it before. You gotta be professional. Chris Cardasano is gonna love me for saying this. I'm not doing anything uh, just to promote Chris's business, although Chris has a fantastic business. When you're on Zoom like this, this is a collegial event, so you don't have to put on a suit just to see me, okay? But if you're connecting with a client, you gotta look the part. I want my lawyer to look like a lawyer. I hate casual office environments when clients are walking around. I have never wanted my lawyers to meet with people in any setting when they don't have a business, uh, a business appearance. So for men, a jacket and a tie. Put on a freaking tie. It's not gonna kill you, all right? Women, I want you to look like somebody who's worthy of taking $100,000 from me to handle my legal matter. That goes for women and men, but for women, I think you should look like you're going to a professional meeting, all right? For men, I have more of a, an ability to critique what you're wearing because I know how to dress for, as a professional, as a man. Put on a jacket and tie when you're getting on Zoom to meet with a client, all right? You wanna wear casual clothes to this meeting, that's fine. You know, I don't care what you wear to see me. But if you're gonna get money from someone, look worthy of taking their money. I told you all the story about the webinar I did with a Florida Bar Association, a voluntary bar association. There were a couple of judges on and there was a guy sitting by his pool. I don't know if he didn't know whether his camera was on or not, but he didn't have a shirt on, okay? Disgraceful. 
you're a lawyer, you're a professional, okay? Put on a jacket and tie if you're a man, and if you're not a man, if you're a woman, dress like you're going to court or dress like you're looking to get a job in a job interview, all right? The default these days is disgraceful. You gotta look like you're worthy of someone's investment. All right, providing budget certainty. This is another tried and true, but this day and age, it's even more important, okay? Why is it more important? Because there's gonna be a lot of options for your clients out there. So the law firm or the professional who provides budget certainty is always gonna have a huge competitive advantage. I hate hourly billing, I've hated hourly billing for years. The reason you bill by the hour is because you're lazy, okay? Stop hourly billing. I know you're gonna tell me, oh, it's the default, it's what everybody does, my firm won't let me do anything else. No, not true. Your firm will let you do whatever you need to do in order to be profitable, okay? You gotta stop hourly billing. It could be a huge competitive advantage for you right now. So if you're in a litigation scenario, here's what I want you to do. I want you to charge a big fee for an upfront assessment and strategy, okay? You're gonna give them the legal strategy for the case, you're gonna assess their case, and then if you want to bill for the rest of the stuff you're doing in chunks, that's fine. So in other words, it's $5,000 per deposition we need to take or defend, all right? And in addition, when we continue on, if we have to go to court and we have to go to trial, you're gonna have to give me a retainer of $250,000 for a trial, and it's most likely going to cost anywhere from $100,000 to $250,000 to do the entire trial. There are ways to do hourly billing in every practice. If criminal defense attorneys can do it, for God's sake, you can do it too. If you need help getting off the crack that is hourly billing, you need to talk to me because I can help you get off that. You have the, the opportunity now to differentiate yourself and your firm with your billing. I want your billing to be simple and clear, and I want you to get paid in advance. If you provide budget certainty, you can do all those things. Now set aside litigation for a minute, all right? I don't care about litigation. Every other practice area, you can create a value-based fee structure that people will love. I do it with my clients all the time. You need to plan to start this in 2021. It will be a huge competitive advantage for you going forward. If you don't believe me, go back and watch the interview I did with Brad Gross last week, last Thursday. If you haven't got a copy of it, send me an email right now. I'll email you the link to the interview I did with Brad. We created a huge competitive advantage with his general counsel structure. Nobody else does this in his business. He does intellectual property work and it blows his clients away. Action number five, create a Slack adjuster in your practice. A Slack adjuster is a big money-making event for you. Now this can be a type of service that you provide. So if you assist on the purchase or sale of a business, you can create a flat fee structure so that I will help you sell your law firm, I will help you sell your, uh, your business, Mr. Smith, and you will pay me a fee of $20,000 upfront. When the deal is closed, I will get a $100,000 success fee. 
So my total fee will be $120,000. This person is realizing $50 million from the sale of his business. He will gladly pay you the $120,000, all right? That's just an example. We can engineer this type of slack, and maybe you do one of these a year. The reason it's called a slack adjuster is because it provides a huge windfall of cash into your firm or your business once a year, and you can make it happen. You can make it happen in your practice. It's life-changing for you at first, and then it changes your entire year when you do it on an annual basis. I've built this into my business over the years. I do purchase and sale of practices, and I can't take fees as a, uh, as I can't take, I can't, can't share fees as part of my work with lawyers in most states. However, I can take success fees from the purchase or sale of other practices. And when I help an accountant sell his practice, or when I help a business owner sell their business practice, a consulting practice, or an engineering practice, I can take a success fee as a result of that. I can also create events, and I can get 50 people to come to an event, and if 50 people pay me $2,000 each, I'm getting $100,000 into my business. You can do the same thing. There are a number of ways we can create slack adjusters in your practice. You need to have this type of thing built into your business because it can take a bad year and make it acceptable. It can take an acceptable year and make it extraordinary. And it can take an extraordinary year and make it career defining. I've used slack adjuster type events, slack adjuster type uh, business models to do everything from buy a new car, to buy a new house, to take my family on vacation, to wiping out all kinds of debt. You need to engineer this into your professional practice. I can help you do it. We will do a session, at least one session, on creating this slack adjuster type of, oh, by the way, the reason the, the term slack adjuster comes from the car industry. Occasionally, they would have special deals on cars. The factories would offer them incentives to sell cars, and the dealership would get a huge windfall for every car they sold, and that was called a slack adjuster. Well, we've adopted that language, and you can do that in your professional practice. I'm going to do at least one session for my inner circle community before the end of the year on how to engineer this into your practice. In the meantime, I want you to think about ways that you can create a cash windfall into your practice. And candidly, I want you to brainstorm them and share them with me during the Q&A sessions that we conduct. And let's talk about how you can do this in your practice. One of the things that you'll realize, and it's a benefit of working with us here as part of the business development community, is you're only limited by what you can dream up in your mind. Okay. Before you heard this term from me, you may never have thought about creating a big cash windfall event and engineering it as part of your practice. I'll tell you that if we plan for it in 2021 for you, we can make this happen for you. And I want you to think about what an additional 100,000, 200,000, or even a million dollars can mean for you in your business as a result of something like this. It's, uh, it's cliche, but it's a game changer. It changes the way you think about your business. It's going to change the way you think about your practice. So create some type of a slack adjuster and let's plan for it as we start 2021. 
it's worth all the effort and aggravation to test it. Um, look, when you're planning a big event, when you're planning a big offering, okay, there's going to be some aggravation. There's going to be a lot of trial and error. It's worth it once you get this model down. All right. Invest 15% of your income on your education. Well, you guys know that this is smart because you're already doing it. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to validate your investment, all right? First and foremost, when you invest in your, in your own personal education, your ongoing career development or your personal development, it prevents brain decay. You and I have a lot of the same conversations day in and day out. You talk to different clients, but you have the same conversations with them all the time. You need somebody to challenge your thinking, and that's what we do here. I want you to stay on the cutting edge of marketing. So staying on the cutting edge of marketing means challenging some of your thinking about marketing. I want you to create new opportunities for yourself, and that's what a real good continuing education program does for you. Staying focused on your own personal growth is a huge competitive advantage for you. When times get tough, the first thing we do is we skimp on our personal professional development. I don't ever want you to do that. And here's the reason why. The minute you continue to do what you've always done, you're lucky if you get the same results you've always gotten. You know, that's the expression. If you, if you do what you've always done, you'll get the same results You've always, you've always gotten, but that's just not true. If you continue to do what you've always done, the world moves on. So by continuing to do what you've always done, you're not even keeping up, you're falling behind. You need to invest 15% of your income on your education. Now, here's what I'll tell you. If you wanna invest 10% of your income on your education and 5% on yourself, I'm all for it, right? I want you to spend money on yourself. And we'll talk about that down the road. But investing in yourself pays the biggest dividends ever. It's never gonna be wasted money. It's always going to be a valuable investment that you will receive an exponential return on. All right, you're gonna hate this one too. I hate this one, but it makes perfect sense. Pay cash. Look, Right now, everybody probably has some kind of debt, all right? You got credit card debt, maybe you took out a loan to get through the pandemic, I understand. As you start to make money, I want you to get rid of your debt. Retire your debt as quickly as you can because debt imprisons you, all right? The more debt you have, the more challenge you're going to have in living a lifestyle that makes you feel good about yourself. I think the philosophy you have to follow is, if you don't have the cash, you can't afford it. Believe me, I've made mistakes in this area myself over the years. I always thought, hey listen, I'm making money with other people's money, that's great, this is what I should be doing. You know, I don't feel that way anymore. I've lived through 9-11 in New York, and I didn't learn my lesson from that. I started my business during the Great Recession. It happened at the same time I had my, my first child. That taught me the lesson that carrying debt would imprison me. 
if you're going to use your credit cards and use credit cards, you know, to get you over the hump, but pay them off each month if you can. Cash equals freedom. Cash gives you an incentive to make more money. And here's, let me, let me explain my thinking to you on this. And maybe you don't think this way, but I used to think this way. And a lot of the clients that I share this philosophy with say to me, you know, I didn't get it, but now I finally do. So you put something on a credit card, right? Maybe you put, I'll give you an example, all right? You, uh, you live in South Florida and we're in hurricane season, so you go and buy a generator. You don't have an extra $1,100, $1,200 to get a really good portable generator, but you got space, $1,100 worth of space on your credit card. So you put that $1,100 generator on your credit card and you say to yourself, well, you know, I'll get the generator and if I ever have a problem, you know, my family will at least be able to have food. It'll keep the food cold and, you know, we can watch TV. It won't run the air conditioner, but it'll run a couple of good fans. And, you know, it'll be, it, this is important that we're, that we're able to continue to live during the six days when we don't have power after a hurricane here in South Florida. So I put the $1,100 on my credit card. I'll pay it off over time, right? Well, three years later, Four years later, when you're still making payments on that $1,100 generator, that $1,100 generator now costs $3,000 and you're still making $40 a month payments or $30 a month payments on it. And you know, you wish you had the $3,000 you paid for that generator, the extra $2,500 that you paid for that generator so that you could go on vacation or that so you could run an ad campaign for your business. Debt imprisons you and it's seductive because it doesn't seem like it's really spending money. You put something on a credit card, you pay $30 next month, you barely feel the 30 bucks, but you're paying 30 bucks for the rest of your life for that $1,000 generator. It's ridiculous. Multiply that now by the 20 things you buy when you don't have the cash to pay for it and it's crushing. All it takes is one bump in the road you fall behind and you're stuck deciding whether you pay your electricity bill or you pay your credit card bill. And that, my friends, is a huge problem. And it's a problem that's avoidable and it will keep you up at night. So, listen to me. If you learn the hard way, take your lumps, we'll help you make more money so you can pay cash. Let's get rid of the debt as quickly as possible. All right. Uh, quick note, I got a couple people telling me they bought real estate and uh, they borrowed the money for the real estate and they're making more money on it. Um, okay, that's fine. Look, I'm not talking about investing in real estate. Look, if you're, uh, let's separate something for a minute. Let's separate your personal finances from investments, okay? In an investment scenario, you do what you got to do to make that investment pay off. So, and you know, with your house too, I'm not talking about, you, you're not going to, you know, if you're, if you're living in a $2 million house and you got $2 million in cash and you can pay it off, God bless, do that. But if you need to take a mortgage, take a 50% mortgage, right? The difference between taking a 50% mortgage and taking a 15% mortgage is night and day. If you're investing in real estate as part of an investment strategy, that's a different thing altogether. If the numbers pencil over 30 years and you have a rent roll that pays those, that's a self-sustaining entity. What I'm talking about is in your personal life, debt, consumer debt will crush you consumer debt will absolutely crush you. So that's what I'm talking about. 
Real estate is an investment. Oh, by the way, I'm not talking about the stock market either. Those of you who are out there and you're telling me that day trading is a good idea. No, it's not. It's a terrible idea. Day trading on margin is a terrible idea. Get out of that business right now, okay? You want to invest in real estate, go for it. That each entity is separate and the debt support is supported by a rent roll. Different story altogether. Consumer debt, foolish debt, get out of it. Let me help you get out of it. Make the money to put it behind you. Uh, credit is fool's gold. I'm teaching my kids this now, and it's the hard way to learn. You don't, you don't view it as real money. You get a credit card. My, uh, my oldest nieces who are in college now, and they're getting their first credit cards, they, they, they think that they got a $3,000 line of credit that they have $3,000 to spend. And that's fool's gold. That's not your money. That's somebody else's money, and you're going to pay dearly for it. All right, enough of this. Put the phone down. Uh, I want you to go on an electronic fast at least one day a week, okay? One day a week, I want you to stay off your phone, stay off your computer. You don't need to return an email. Pick a Sunday to start, okay? The court does not demand any responses unless it's an emergency, and then somebody will probably call you on the phone, and you know, hopefully you'll check your messages at the end of the day, but the court does not demand a response to anything on a Sunday. Start with Sunday. Take your phone. Put it in your nightstand. Don't check it until the next day. Pick one day a week, all right? Replace the time you would spend looking at your phone with a live conversation with somebody you care about. It's amazing what you'll learn when you talk to the people who live in the same house as you. You've seen these pictures of families who get together at the holidays and everybody's sitting in the couch looking at their phone, texting someone else. All right, don't be those people. Take one day a week. Put your phone down. I want you to do this for your own mental health. I want you to see how good it feels. I've started doing this on the weekends, and the way I do it is this. I get up in the morning, and I go through, see if I, there's any email, Sunday morning, let's say, see if there's any email. Pardon me, there's usually none. I shut off my computer, I leave my phone in my nightstand, turn the ringer off, all right? Everybody I care about is pretty much in this house, my extended family, they're, you know, they're in their homes, and I don't check my phone. I don't check my email for the entire day on Sunday. I enjoy my day with my, with my wife and my children. And then the next day, Monday, I get up, I go to work. I turn my computer on. I turn my phone back on. You know what I miss? Nothing. I don't miss anything. What am I missing? I'm missing an alert that tells me that there was a 10 p.m. curfew in Miami-Dade County the night before. Big deal. You know, what am I missing? I'm missing three breaking news alerts that Trump said something stupid. Oh, okay, big deal. You know, I'm missing, uh, you know, stupid stuff. I'm missing the Yankee score and which players are hurt that day, right? I don't care about any of that as much as I care about the relationship I have with the people who are closest to me one day a week. It's not going to kill you. It's a huge relief of stress and anxiety. The more you do this, if you start with a Sunday, I promise you there will be days during the week where you leave your phone alone for two or three hours at a time and you completely forget that you haven't checked your phone in all that time. This is how you break this stupid addiction that most of us have with the phone. Start with one day a week, put the phone down, turn your computer off. You'll realize you can live without it. The next thing you know, you'll be going two or three hours during a weekday and it'll be absolutely much less stressful for you and the people around you will notice. The first time I did this, my kids were like, dad, where's your phone? 
And they noticed because they had sent me something and they were sitting right next to me, all right? <laughs> so reduce your own stress and anxiety. Put the phone down one day a week. What does this have to do with strategic planning for 2021? This has everything to do with strategic planning for 2021 because we're not just doing a strategic plan for your business. We're doing a strategic plan for you personally because my goal is for you to be more focused on the things that are important and for you to make a great living and live a great life. That is the tagline for my company. So the second part, the live a great life, is equally as important to me as the make a great living part. Create a concierge offering in your practice. Now, many of you are in your business, whatever type of practice or business you have. Many of you are thinking to yourself, hey, I don't know how I can do that. Well, there's going to be a session on that as well. But if you want to talk about this, Wednesday workshop is the perfect place to start talking about this. Imagine if you had an offering where for $500 a month, people could call you and they could spend one hour or two hours or three hours on the phone with you just discussing their business issues. $500 a month and that's the entry level for people to do business with you. So do you offer a free consultation? No, I don't offer a free consultation, but here's what I have. For $500 a month, a three month minimum, you can invest in me and ask me any questions you want for up to three hours every month. So give me 1500 bucks or give me 500 bucks and we'll start this month's conversation right now. All right. You can create an entire group of people that pays this to you. People will ascend to other levels of service because they're already investing in you. And it's a great way for you to create a community of followers who knows you, likes you, and trusts you. You'll be amazed at how people begin to refer you work once they start investing in you. So everyone who's in a professional practice, regardless of your professional practice, can have some sort of a concierge offering. Now that concierge offering can be something as simple as, look, if you wanna get one work product that I'm getting, I got an Amber alert right now. If you, wanna, if you wanna get one specific type of work product every month, you can invest $500 a month and I'll deliver that type of work product. There are dozens and dozens of ways to structure this, but I want you to think of your practice in a different way for 2021. Creating this entry-level offering, this baseline offering, is a way to draw new people in, and create a compelling opportunity for people to begin to work with you. All right, the last thing we're gonna talk about today, and then I'll take your questions as they come up, is leveraging data. Facebook harvests data. Those of you who are on Facebook, whether you know it or not, you're the product, okay? Facebook is designed to get as much information about you as possible and then sell it to other people. You can leverage Facebook to target your clients, whether you're in a B2B set setting or in a business to consumer setting. I want you to leverage all the available data that's out there about your ideal client. You can target people by demographic. You can target people by psychographics, by their behavior. I want you to study LinkedIn and other social media content. And I want you to observe behavior. I want you to look at what people are posting from a content perspective, see what's getting reaction, 
and then create the same type of content if those are your ideal clients who are drawn to that content. If you want to go the next step, you can invest in advertising on some of these platforms and really leverage the data to help target your exact client. Now, notice there, I broke this down into two different things, okay? You can do some secondary research and determine what type of content to produce based on what's resonating with people online. LinkedIn is particularly good for this. So create hashtags and do searches on LinkedIn based on those hashtags and look at the comments that, look at the articles that are getting a large amount of reaction, positive, negative, a lot of comments, a lot of discussion. If those articles are in your area of expertise, you know what type of content now you should be writing to engage people. Take advantage of that. That research costs you nothing. It just costs you the time to look into these things. If you wanna take it to the next level, you can invest in social media marketing, social media advertising, and you could target specific demographics and psychographics. For example, right now, I'm running ads online targeting people that I've sent email to who are lawyers in Florida. I have different ads running to target lawyers in New York. I have different ads running to target lawyers in LA. I have different ads running to target lawyers in Chicago. I'm also excluding from that entire group anybody who's in the field of personal injury law. I'm also excluding from that group anyone who's under the age of 30. I'm doing that because those people are not my ideal clients. I'm advertising to specifically who my ideal clients are based on the history of people who've worked with me over the last 13 years. You can do that exact same thing. If you don't have money to invest in advertising, do the research that I told you about on the content. This is powerful and it's valuable. Leverage what these geniuses, some of them evil geniuses, have created. If people are willing to give their information to Facebook and Facebook is selling that information, you need to think long and hard about taking advantage of it because it's out there. Other people are doing it, you should be doing it too. If you remember, we're talking about recommendations and guidance for 2021. You'll find that this is September and Throughout October and November, I'm going to ramp up my work with you to start planning for next year. The reason being, I mentioned this last session, but if you weren't with us last session, you can catch it on the replay, but I'll paraphrase. The reason being, you need to put things into motion now for next year. So most people wait until the last week or the second to last week of December to start planning for the new year. I've always focused on doing that in advance. Every place I've been, budget season was October. All the budgets were finished in October. And then, you know, the, the planning process took place in November and December. We know that our clients, a lot of times, will be budgeting and planning for their, uh, their future. They'll be budgeting in October, planning for their future, probably in November, maybe even December. So we have to act a little bit earlier. Um, the guidance that I've, that I've given you in the first 10 actions and the guidance that I'm going to give you in the second half, that the, the next 10 actions, 
is guidance based on things you should do for your business as well as things you should do for yourself personally. And I do this, of course, to help you, but I always review this as a reminder for myself because we get so busy throughout the course of the year that some really good habits sometimes will fall by the wayside. And I want to focus myself and focus all of you on getting back into those habits. So action 11 is preventing genius leakage. Now, what do I mean by that? You have a lot of good ideas. You probably have 10 times the number of good ideas that, that you act, then you act upon. So in other words, you got great ideas that just go fallow, that just fall by the wayside. What I encourage you to do is get a notebook. I used to walk around with, until the pandemic actually, I walked around with a very small moleskin uh, reporter's notebook, uh, the smaller version. It's almost like an assignment pad like you had in grade school. And I used to write my ideas in there. I used to use it sometimes as a to-do list. I used to capture actions that I've taken. Well, when the pandemic struck and I realized I wasn't gonna be traveling anywhere for a long time, I gave myself the luxury of going to something bigger. Now I use, and I'll show you, I use a regular ruled pad and I write down, I literally write down everything. Good ideas, stupid ideas, things that I have to do, reminders for conversations that I'm going to have throughout the week. I have a conversation with, um, with the chief operating officer at Rosenberg and Estes tomorrow on uh, just how his guys are doing, how his people are doing in the coaching program. I have, a, I have a list on the side that I keep notes of, like, you know, who did something great this week. My point is this. I share, I, I, I write down everything because I don't want to miss a good idea. I don't want to forget about a good idea. Then what I do at the end of the day is I, I go back and review everything that was in the idea notebook. I look at the things that I acted on. I look at the things I didn't act on. At the end of the week, I review what I did throughout the course of the week. And then every month I start a new one and I go back and I review the old one. I can't tell you how many times I had a great idea at the beginning of the month, I completely forgot about it. And then I'm, when I'm flipping through stuff at the end of the month, I go, crap, that's a great idea. I got to do that. This program, the program that you're participating in now, if you're in the inner circle business development community, this program was an idea that was in an idea notebook like a year ago. And it kept getting transferred from one month to the next until I finally acted on it. And my feeling about this is it's better to have that idea and carry it around with me and force myself to act on it than to never act on it at all, even if I act on it a year later. Now, one of the ways you can take action on this, there's a couple of things that I do that are helpful. When I have a great idea and I know it's going to be a pain in the ass to implement, I tell somebody else about it. And then if that other person is enthusiastic about the idea, then I really get fired up, I get excited about it. So sometimes I'll tell uh, Carrie, my wife about it, she gets excited about it and we talk about it a lot, then I really am motivated to put it into practice. Um, sometimes I will, I'll tell a client like, uh, you know, Klitzner, uh, who's been with me for a long time, or you guys met Brad, I'll tell Klitzner or Brad since they've been around a while about something I'm thinking about doing. And they'll tell me, hey, that's a great idea. You definitely should do that. I would definitely participate. So tell a client about it. A lot of times I will put an appointment on the calendar 
to take the first steps on this idea. And making that appointment with myself is so important because it's on my calendar, so now I budgeted the time for it. I gotta do something about it. The first step is always the hardest. So what I've found is that if I force myself to take the first step, it's like, uh, like this weekend I cleaned the garage and cleaning the garage sucks. It's the worst, one of the worst jobs in the world. But the first step of going to the, the far corner of the garage and starting to organize that corner, that's, that first step is the hardest part. Once you get started, four hours goes by and the garage looks amazing and the door is open and your neighbors are starting to look in and they're going, wow, he really cleaned up his garage. And then you're feeling good about yourself. So it's easy to finish the job, right? You're building on that momentum. My point is this, you've had good ideas, whether it's for, from a business development perspective for your business or from an idea perspective of a, of a service offering or just something that you know in your heart will be successful, but you never did anything about it. Step one, write it down. And after you write it down, review it, tell somebody about it, make an appointment with yourself to get started, do the first step, and then build on that momentum. Action 12 for, whoops, for next year. What I want you to do before next year happens, I want you to review your relationship with any vendors, okay? I hate the term vendor, but I, you know, service provider, anybody who provides you with, with a service. What's your experience in working with them? Are they easy to work with? Are they saving you money? Are they making you money? Are they reducing your risk in some way? What value are they providing above and beyond what they could normally do? I'm gonna go back to my home and my pool person, right? My pool guy. We found my pool guy because, and by the way, there's, if, if, if you've ever been to South Florida, everybody who has a pool has a pool guy, right? And most pool guys have like 10 gallons of chlorine in the back of a pickup truck, a brush and a, and a skimmer, right? That's what they got. And they started their business with 10 gallons of chlorine, a brush and a skimmer, and they drive around. Sometimes they have business cards and hand them out. Sometimes it's a handwritten flyer that they put uh, on your doorstep. Well, we've, got, we've been through a bunch of pool guys and we found this gentleman because his wife uh, was sitting in the waiting room waiting to pick up my daughter, but they to pick up her daughters at my daughter's dance school. My wife became friendly with the wife. Her husband, she said, built pools. And I met him at a dance uh, competition one time. He seemed like a nice guy. And I said to him, listen, I have a really hard time finding somebody to service my pool. If you know anybody, let me know. And he said, oh, I'll do it for you. And it turns out he services a lot of high-end homes, pools, people who live in neighborhoods much more extravagant, much more expensive than mine. He's been invaluable to me. He's introduced me to a number of people, a couple of whom have become clients. He shares uh, some guidance on what's going on in the local economy because he, people who spend money on their pools are making good money. He's a very savvy business person and he adds value above and beyond what I pay him to keep the pool clean and running. So he helped me make more money this year. He's a valuable vendor to me, right? So your vendors should be delivering value to you above and beyond. Now, here's the thing. It's hard to find vendors like that. 
Most people don't give a crap about us. Most people don't give people who provide you with services, they don't give a crap about you. All they want to do is take your money and give you what they said they were going to give you. And sometimes they don't even do that. So the people who you choose to pay need to help you get better either in your business or your personal life. They need to go above and beyond the services they're providing. Okay. If you want another example, Sudsy's dry cleaners here in Miami, they're really expensive, but the owner of Sudsy's Jason Loeb is a personal friend of mine. They pick up and deliver. And Jason has introduced me to a number of business people here in Miami who have helped me make more money. I gladly put my shirts in a bag and send them to Sudsy's and pay twice as much as I would normally pay a dry cleaner to do my shirts because Jason makes a lot of great introductions for me. So your vendors, every vendor you use for anything and everything, you must review them. And you must review them from the standpoint of how are they helping you save money, make money, or reduce risk. Most people, whether it's in business or their personal life, overlook this opportunity. When you meet with your vendors, you should flat out tell them, I can work with any pool guy. I'm choosing to work with you because I know we can help each other. I will refer you to other people and you'll do their pools. And you can refer me to other business people, particularly professionals with whom I can work. So I want you to review your vendor relationships before the end of the year. And if you have to make changes, start doing your due diligence on those changes right now. Think about it this way. If you've got five vendors providing services to your house and each one of them introduces you to a new client next year, that's five new clients you got just from the people who you're paying to do stuff that you'd already pay people to do anyway. It's bonus business, right? All you need to do is have conversations with these people and explain who you want to meet. Now, here's the other thing that I want to mention about this. If you're in a focused practice, like Steve Siegel works with uh, doctors and medical practices, right? Like I work with lawyers and other professionals. What I want you to do is I want you to be upfront and I want you to say, look, I want to work with you if you work with a lot of doctors and medical professionals. You know why? Because I want to meet some of those people and I'm counting on you to help make introductions to those people for me. When you're upfront with people, they'll be happy. They'll be thrilled. What they're going to think to themselves is, man, if I introduce this guy to two doctors a year, I keep this account forever. That's, that's beautiful. I would love to work with somebody who was upfront with me and told me that. Dave, all you got to do is introduce me to two people and I'll stay with you for a year. No problem. I'll introduce you to two people right now. All right. Vendor review. It's a, it's a hidden gem. Do this with everybody you work with. If you change half of your vendors over to people who introduce you to clients, that's three, four, five new clients you get next year just for doing business with the right people. Schedule free time and vacation. All right, so we're, we're in a pandemic now as we're, as we're discussing this, right? The last thing you're thinking about is your trip to Paris or your trip to California or your, your trip to the Canadian Rockies, right? I think you got to plan and schedule a vacation as long as you get trip insurance or you make sure all that stuff is fully refundable. You got to do it anyway. And here's the main reason why, and then I'll give you some secondary reasons, okay? 
the main reason to plan a free time uh, activity or vacation activity, the main reason is for light at the end of the tunnel. It's for hope. It's to work towards something. So what you should do right now is for the second half of next year, for maybe the fall, September, October, plan a trip, a vacation. Make sure everything that you're planning is fully refundable and there's never been a better time to book a trip that will be fully refundable than now. And if you're not comfortable at any point, you can always cancel it. But I want you to plan a vacation or free time now for next year because I want you to be working for something. Psychologically, it's so important for you to know that there will be an opportunity for you to relax. Even if you're only planning, and, and we do this all the time, even if you're only planning to go to a local resort, like here where, where we live, there are fantastic resorts within an hour or less drive. And pretty much where all of you live, there's a fantastic resort within an hour or less drive. Even if it's only a three-day long weekend getaway, plan it, make it like a court appointment so that there has to be a natural disaster that would require you to cancel it. For your mental health or if you're taking your family for a good family time, it is incredibly valuable to have this on the calendar, to have something to look forward to. Use it as a reward for the hard work that you're gonna do between now and that time. But also, I'm telling you, it's a necessity because psychologically, it helps you think about what's happening, what's coming in the future, helps you look forward to something. One of the things that's always worked out for me is, even before Carrie and I had kids, we would always have a trip planned. And when we had this trip planned, what I found is at some point before the trip, I always secured a piece of business that allowed me to pay for that trip, that paid for that trip for me. And it just was one of those things. It's, it's just an amazing psychological principle. It works like magic. Remember, you can always cancel it if you feel uncomfortable doing it. But I think it really makes a lot of sense to do that. All right, schedule health events. This is something I started doing, you know, candidly when I started actually thinking about my health as I, as I got older, you know, when, like I guess pre, pre the age of 35 or maybe even 40, I didn't think about my health at all. <laughs> I never thought about it. Well, as I started, started thinking about my health, I, I do a couple of things every year. This time of year, I plan my annual physical, I always go for my annual physical in January. I feel like I start the year off right. I go to the dentist every six months, so I plan a dental appointment right in January, the first part of the year. I schedule any uh, mental health um, activities that I want. So if I want to work on myself and I wanna do something with a therapist, I either do it before the year starts or I plan on doing it right when the year starts. Um, I, I think I spelled that wrong. Uh, schedule a massage or acupuncture in advance if you're going to do a bi-monthly massage or acupuncture treatment. Schedule those things or spa treatments. Schedule those things in advance. And here's the, here's the reason why I, I want you to do that. The reason why I want you to do that is because I want you to 
focus on yourself, your own personal well-being, and I want you to focus on really taking care of yourself and treating yourself well. Um, and I want you to make it a priority. So if you schedule it, you will make it a priority. And that's the main reason why I want all these things on your calendar in advance. Keep in mind that you can, if you want to, change these appointments. You can always change them. However, if they're on the calendar, they're kind of written in stone. And if they're written in stone, they're less likely, it's less likely that you'll, that you'll wind up changing them. I lost my, hang on, I lost my screen share thing there. There we go, all right. If they're on the calendar, it's less likely that you'll wind up changing them. Whoa, that's pretty cool. Oh, there you go. All right, side note, always wear your glasses when you do a presentation. It's helpful when you see what you're doing. Action 15, set personal goals. Listen, we all don't spend enough time focused on our personal goals. So I'm gonna give you the crash course on how to set goals now. Most people will set a personal goal of, you know, I wanna, I wanna make X amount of dollars uh, this year, and that's fine. But any goal you set should have these five characteristics. You've probably seen this somewhere before, but it works. Be specific. You have to say specifically what you wanna do when you wanna do it. So for, for our purposes, if you wanna increase your revenue from advisory services, what I want you to say is in 2021, I would like to increase my revenue by 20% in the area of advisory services. Or even better, I want one new advisory service client every month. Or even better than that, I want to be general counsel, outside general counsel, to one business owner who pays me, one new business owner who pays me at least $2,000 a month every month starting in January. Now, what does this goal have? What characteristics does this goal have? Well, it's specific, right? You can point to it and say, I achieved it because I got that result, right? It's measurable. You said you wanted at least $2,000 every month from this activity. It's actionable. You know what you have to do. You gotta go out and find these people. Is it realistic? Well, $2,000 a month, that's one client, very realistic. And is it timely? Meaning, does it have a deadline? Well, you put a deadline of monthly, you want this monthly revenue, and you want the monthly revenue to come starting in January. So yeah, it is specific, it is measurable, it is actionable, it is realistic, and it is timely. Action 16, business goals. So I just gave you, go back to 15. I just gave you personal goals and I gave you a business example. Let me give you a personal example, okay? Say you take weight loss, everybody's favorite thing. I wanna lose five pounds by November 15th, all right? And I'm gonna do that by walking five miles a day. All right, so is it specific? Absolutely, five pounds. Is it measurable? Yeah, five pounds by November 15th. Is it actionable? 
Well, it is actionable because I'm gonna do that by walking. You wanna make it even more actionable? Well, I have two dogs. I walk my two dogs each a mile in the morning, that's two miles in the morning, and I walk them each a mile at night. Really, four blocks here in our neighborhood is a mile, so we walk around the four block area, that's a, that's a mile. It takes 20 minutes to walk the dog. I walk two dogs, that's 40 minutes in the morning, 40 at night, that's four miles. All I need to do is walk another mile and I'm walking five miles a day. So walking five miles a day and eating less than 3,000 calories will be enough for me to lose the weight. Is that realistic? Most definitely. I'm already doing some of these activities. All I need to do is cut out dessert and I'm down to 3,000 calories a day. Is it time bound? Is it timely? Sure, I said by, by November 15th, I'm gonna walk each dog twice a day. And if it rains one day, you know what I'll do? I'll make up for it by walking a little bit more the next day. So setting personal goals, thinking it through, making them specific, measurable, actionable, realistic, and timely is a great way to do it. Also, if you want to put your personal goals on steroids, you got your little idea notebook that I just told you about, right? Put down the stuff that you're doing, your accomplishments, in your little idea notebook every day. What you track gets done. What you measure, what you manage and measure gets done. If you write it down after you do it, you'll have the incentive to do it so that you can write it down. All right, business goals. Similar, similar concept applies, but here's what I would do. If I were you, I would sit down and I would set up a goal for what type of revenue you wanted. Your revenue increases annually. All right, so you wanna grow your book of business year over year by 10%. What does that look like dollar-wise? By 20%, what does that look like dollar-wise? You wanna break that down to how much new revenue you need to bring in on a monthly basis, how much new revenue you need to bring in on a weekly basis. You wanna determine how much of that is gonna be profit, so you wanna keep your expenses in line. You wanna determine what you're going to pay yourself from an income perspective right? If you make more money in your business, you should be taking home more money. And then the increase in revenue that comes into your book of business, money goes into your pocket, the same percentage should also go into your cash reserves. So let me explain that. Your business revenue increases by 30% year over year. Your profits should increase then by at least 30%. Actually, your percentage of profits should be more because your expenses are probably fixed and you're making additional revenue. But for argument's sake, your percentage of profits remains the same. So you increase your personal income. You're not paying yourself all the profits. You're, you're gonna save some of them. You increase your personal income by the same percentage and you increase your cash reserves by the same percentage. So you wanna increase your cash reserves with the money you put away by 30% if your revenue went up 30%. So if you saved $100 last year, this year you're gonna save $130, right? You're gonna increase your cash reserves by the same percentage that you increase your revenue. Many people who own their own practices, who own their own businesses, do not do the last two things. They don't increase their personal income and they don't increase the money they have saved for a rainy day. Cash reserves have never been more important. The first two things you do when you get a new client 
is you take a little bit of money and you go out and blow it. Take 5% of that new revenue and take your family out to dinner. Uh, bad example. Take 5% of that new revenue and order dinner in, right? Take 5% of new revenue and invest it back into your home. The important thing is you enjoy 5%, 10% of that new client. Then you take that same amount, 5% or 10%, and you put it under the mattress, figuratively, not literally. Take 5%, 10%, put it in the savings account. You use that savings account if there's a hurricane. Use that savings account if there's a pandemic. Use that savings account if your biggest client gets locked up and thrown in prison. You need to have cash reserves. How much do you need? It's a, ma it's a matter of personal preference. People have always said, oh, you know, uh, if you work for a company, you should have at least three months of your expenses saved in case you get laid off. If you're an entrepreneur, you should have at least six months of your expenses saved. Look, here's the bottom line. It's really hard to have six months of your expenses saved. The only way to do it is if you're taking 10% of every new client, what every new client pays you, 10% of every new sale, and putting it into a savings account, and you continue to increase your sales. In a couple of years, you might have two or three months saved up. Believe me, when a pandemic hits, when a hurricane knocks out power for a week and you can't communicate with your clients and some of your clients just go, they just vanish into the night, you're happy that you have those cash reserves. You're happy that you have that money saved. Or if you know something unexpected happens and you wanna, maybe you wanna put an addition on your house or you wanna buy a new car and you wanna pay cash for it, or God forbid somebody in your family gets sick or passes away and you have those expenses that that person didn't plan for and you wanna help them out. I don't call it a rainy day fund. I don't call it an emergency fund because if you call it an emergency fund, you're welcoming emergencies into your life. If you call it a rainy day fund, you're welcoming rain into your life. I call it a cash reserve because if you wanna use it to go to Europe, it's your money. Use it to go to Europe. If you wanna use it to pay for your daughter's wedding, use it to pay for your daughter's wedding. If you build it up once, you can build it up again. That's your money. Put it aside, use it for something you care about, use it to help you relieve some stress or some pressure if you need to. Let's take a look at the chat. Um, all right, Nancy Delane just scheduled a trip while she was, uh, while she was in the presentation here. I'm glad I could help you, Nancy. <laughs> That's what I like, action. <laughs> all right, action 17, 50 ideal prospects. This, more than anything, will change the way you look at business development moving forward. I want you to find 50 people you would be thrilled to have as your clients, 50 companies, 50 firms you'd be thrilled to have as your clients, and then you're going to spend 2021 going out and making these people your clients. I do this every year. It works like a charm. So what does this mean? You're gonna decide who your future clients are going to be. This involves a lot of work. That's why we start now. Look at the, your current clients. Pick the best one and say, I want 50 more people just like this person or just like this company. Then I want you to go out 
And I want you to identify the, those, that person's competitors, people in the same industry sector, people who are identical to that person from a psychographic perspective, people who purchase things, your services that are identical to your best client. Then I want you to find the specific people in the company. You're gonna to have to dig, you're gonna to have to do research, you're gonna to have to do due diligence. Find the specific people in that company who would hire you or who would welcome you into the company as a service provider. Then I want you to create an offering based upon their needs. So what do you gotta do? You gotta figure out what they need, okay? So you're gonna to have to do secondary research, and primary research. What does that mean? Secondary research is the Google dance, right? You're going to read everything you can about the company. You're going to read everything you can about the person who's the decision maker, who you'll be talking to eventually. You're going to set internet or Google news alerts. If you don't know how to do this, message me. I'll do a demo on how to set news alerts to alert you when that person is quoted in a newspaper or quoted in an industry trade journal or when that company is profiled in a newspaper or an industry trade journal. You're going to create a value proposition why you are the right person to work with them, why you are the perfect person to work with them, and you're gonna create a value proposition that helps them with urgency. Why is now the perfect time? You're gonna set the news alerts, like I said, so that you know what's going on in their business. And then when the first of the year, when the calendar page flips over to the first of the year, you're going to relentlessly pursue these 50 companies and you will make at least 10 of them your clients by the end of the year. This is how I have built my business. I have done this for as long as I've been, for as, since, I was, since I was in short pants, for as long as I've been an adult in the business world, I've always had the attitude that I'm gonna decide who my clients are, I'm gonna make a list, and I'm gonna relentlessly pursue them until they succumb to the pressure and pay me what I want. Right now, in 2020, probably one of the worst years for business that we've had in a decade or two decades, I realized two of the people on my list of 50. And as we record this, as we're doing this session, we're in September. I'm still pursuing the other 47, and I may be able to realize two more. I'm hopeful that I can realize at least two more between now and the end of the year, big companies, big firms. But I relentlessly pursue these people. My attitude is they're going to be my client. They just don't know it yet, all right? This one idea is worth everything you've paid me to this point because this one idea, if you follow it, will focus you and will help you in immeasurable ways. How will it help you? Well, the first way is you're going to find some of these people and some of these people are going to become your clients. People, the pressure you're gonna put on yourself to make these people your clients will make it so. The second thing is, you're gonna discover that while you're pursuing these 50 clients, you stumble over other people who are a lot easier to persuade and those people become your clients. So do you make money if you don't sign up, you know, 50 out of 50? Of course, because you're gonna find two or three more who are gonna do business with you, even if they're not on your list of 50, because you're going to be 
going to industry events. You're going to be publishing things in industry trade journals to get in front of your ideal client. You're going to be giving webinars to industry uh, people who are at events and you'll persuade people who are ancillary to your top 50. But this top 50 idea is the best thing you can do because you're chasing someone who is your ideal client. You're not wasting your time chasing schmucks who are going to be just as hard to track down but not able to afford you or never going to be able to do the kind of business that your ideal clients would do. Jim, you got it right, buddy. Jim, Jim Langendorf says, I am Dave Lorenzo and you will be my client. Resistance is futile. That is exactly, exactly my mindset, Jim. Only make it your name. <laughs> Substitute your name in there. Resistance is futile. You will be my client. All right. Action 18. Ooh. Action 18. Eliminate the bottom 10% of your client base. You know that client you can't stand? The client when you see the phone call scheduled on your calendar, you go, oh, I can't believe I gotta talk to this guy. How did he get on my calendar? That client, you gotta let him go. And the reason you gotta let him go is because the vacuum will fill with a higher paying, lower labor intensity client. You gotta eliminate the top 10% of people in your life from your personal life, the people who just drag you down, the people who are energy suckers, get rid of them. Don't return their calls, stop scheduling time with them. In business, you gotta liberate those bottom feeders to pursue other people to provide the services that you are currently providing. Let them go. Do not feel guilty about cutting out the bottom 10% of your client base. It forces you to find better clients. Now, before you decide to completely let people go, before you decide to do that, I want you to think about whether or not you can restructure the relationship. Sometimes it's just a bad financial relationship. And even if it's a bad financial relationship, you know, but you like the person, you know you can do good work for them, it's just, it's not financially equitable. Go back to them and say, listen, when I originally priced our work together, um, I was not providing the same amount of value that I'm providing now. Now I'm providing a lot more value. Here are the ways that I'm providing additional value. In order to continue our relationship, it's going to require an investment on your part of this amount of money. I think that's fair. If you don't think that's fair, I understand. And if you don't think it's fair, we can end our relationship in 30 days, in 60 days, whatever time frame you want to give them. Most of the time, people understand that you've been giving them a bargain. And most of the time, people will come back and they'll go, you know what? You're right. It isn't fair. And I can't pay what you're asking for, but I can pay you 20% more than I'm currently paying you. How do you feel about that? And depending on how you feel, you either take it or you don't take it. So... Unless the person is just a total drag on you, maybe you can financially restructure the relationship. If the person is just a negative person and you can't stand them no matter what the price, fine. Eliminate the relationship. Don't feel guilty. Let it go. Walking away from that relationship is powerful. It's empowering to you. And it's also motivating because you'll have to replace that revenue in your business. Now, Couple of things I have to say about this. 
People ask me all the time, and I know next Wednesday workshop, somebody's gonna watch this video and they're gonna say, Dave, what happens if I'm just breaking even now and I cut out one of these people and now I don't have enough money, I don't have enough cash flow to pay all my bills this month, right? Dave, is that a foolish decision? Here's the thing. It is not a foolish decision as long as you're motivated to replace them. The biggest problem I have with people with whom I work is they get to a level of comfort and then they stop doing the things that I recommend that they do. You give me someone who's broke and who really wants to be successful, I'll give them two or three things to do and they'll start making money and they'll come back to me and ask me for two or three more things. They'll have implemented all six of those things and they'll come back to me and ask me for more and they'll keep implementing. You give me somebody who's got enough cash flow just to break even and I'll give them three things to do and they'll find a reason not to do each of those three things. And then I'll give them three more things to do and maybe they'll do one of them half-heartedly. You know, it's like the recipe, right? They'll substitute sugar for salt or salt for sugar. And they'll say, you know, Dave, what you gave me really didn't work. And I'll say, tell me what you did. And they didn't follow it exactly. Now, why are they not doing this? Well, because they're just comfortable enough now. They're, they're, they're just, they're making just enough money where all their bills are paid and maybe they get to go on their vacation, but they're not motivated to do any more, right? I want you to set your boats on fire. I want you to not look back. I want you to eliminate the bottom 10% because I want you to be motivated to go out and replace those people with better clients. Believe me, you will never be more motivated than if you lop off that revenue and you wake up in the morning and you think to yourself, well, I don't have to talk to that guy again. Oh, but I gotta go find, out, find another guy who I like talking to. That's motivation. That's what I want you to feel. Put another way, when I managed a sales team and I had the top sales team for Marriott four years in a row, okay, $50 million in sales out of uh, a group of young kids, what I would encourage them to do, buy the most expensive car they could find. Live way above their means. Why did I encourage them to do that? because that motivated them because they had bills to pay. And every one of my people was able to not only pay their bills, but to be able to go out and buy a round of drinks on a Friday night. And that was my goal. My goal was to help them. They had no families, they were single, young people. And I said, buy an expensive car, move into the city, live in a nice apartment, and then we'll be motivated to go out and crush your sales goals. And they did year after year after year. Then what happens? Well, we get responsibilities and we think it's irresponsible to live a lavish lifestyle. But what does that do to us psychologically? That says, okay, well, I worked really hard to just pay my bills. So now I got to keep working this hard because I don't want to work any harder. I deserve to be happy. No, you deserve to make as much money as you can using as low an amount of labor intensity in your own personal effort as you possibly can. So motivate yourself however you have to do it. And I contend that eliminating the bottom percent is a very good first step. You wanna go out and buy a Porsche? That's even better. You wanna go move into a bigger house? Take on a bigger mortgage payment? You'll be motivated to do what Dave Lorenzo tells you if you do that. So 
trust me, spend your money, eliminate the bottom 10%, and then come back here and I'll give you a bunch of stuff to do to make more money. Deal? 19, action number 19. Make a list of everything you're currently tolerating, all right? And you know what I mean by tolerating, right? Um, what's the best example I can give you? All right, so uh, I'm kind of a tool guy. I like tools. I like, to, I like to fix things. I'm more of a car mechanic than I am a carpenter, uh, but I will try my hand at carpentry, right? So the other day, um, what did they have me putting together here? Oh, I know. We had to move the treadmill. My office was doubling as a gym, and now I need my office to be an office all the time. So it turns out that I assembled the treadmill seven years ago here in the office, uh, and it doesn't fit through any doorway. So this weekend, I had to disassemble the treadmill and take it out back into the, into the kids' playroom and reassemble it in the kids' playroom, which we're now converting into a gym, right? Well, it, I had not charged the batteries for my power tools. I got 14 batteries. None of them are charged. But this is the time when I got to take the treadmill apart, right? So I'm hand screw, unscrewing the screws on the treadmill. It's taking three times as long. For years, I didn't, you know, when I was younger, I didn't make enough money to buy power tools. So I would tolerate the hand unscrewing of screws when I was assembling, disassembling, or fixing something. I was tolerating that. Well, I want to make a list. Uh, I want you to make a list of all the things in your life that you're tolerating now, right? Another example would be uh, putting up the hurricane shutters, right? For when I first moved here, I was using a screwdriver to put up my hurricane shutters. Then I started using a power drill to put up my shutters. Now I hire someone to put up my shutters. I don't, you know, the next step is to go out and get impact windows so I don't have to put, out, put up shutters at all. In fact, the next step is to move into a better house with impact windows. I'm tolerating that right now, but I'm going to eliminate that by buying a better house or by installing impact windows. Make a list of the things you are tolerating and then make a list of what you have to do, set an action plan in place for what you have to do to remove that irritant that you're tolerating from your life. Your goal in life is to thrive and it's not to survive. I'm gonna say that again because it's so important. Your goal is to thrive, not just to survive. That's what your goal has to be. You know, you got little kids, your goal should be to put them in the best school possible, right? If you decide not to, that's a decision you wanna be able to make. You wanna buy a bigger house? Your goal should be to buy the biggest house possible. Your goal is to thrive, not just survive. There is nothing worse than a success you can't stand. What do I mean by that? I mean, the success that I had last year, the success I had last year, I did well. It was a good financial year. It was a very successful year for me business-wise. I traveled 120 nights on the road, over 100,000 air miles with two little kids at home, missing stuff I didn't want to be missing. I was successful, but I was tolerating things I didn't want to tolerate. So now I'm making adjustments, not traveling anymore, 
<laughs> I had some help in making that adjustment, but I did make the adjustment nonetheless. Every day from a work perspective should be a pleasure. And if it's not a pleasure, it should at least be an exciting adventure. It should at least be new. It should at least be different. It should at least give you something that you're energized and engaged in doing. That's the key to success in your work life. And I'll tell you this, you may be thinking to yourself now, as you look at this slide, you may be thinking to yourself, hey, listen, you know, I've been a lawyer for 25 years. I know how to be a lawyer. I'm not thrilled with being a lawyer anymore, but I don't know how to do anything else. And it's too late for me to learn to do something else. That is crap. It's too, life is too short for you to think like that. If you're not happy with what you're doing, let's talk about finding something else to do. And let's talk about ramping up to ramping up your income to the point where you can do that something else and make money as quickly as possible. Your goal is to thrive and not just survive. That's what I want you to think about as you're planning for the upcoming year. Action 20, I want you to make this list. And if you do nothing else, this is the one thing I want you to do. I want you to write out a list of things and they, they all start with, I know I am successful when. And I want you to write those sentences for both business things and personal things in your life. I know I am successful when I can order dinner out five nights a week and not have to have my wife cook or not have to cook myself five nights a week. I know I am successful when I can call my family or friends at any hour of the day or night and I know there'll always be somebody there to answer the call. I know I am successful when I am tithing 10% of my income to my church or my shul or uh, the religious uh, institution to which I belong. I know I am successful when my cholesterol, my LDL cholesterol is at this number. I know I am successful when I am producing $20,000 in monthly income on a consistent basis, or I know I am successful when my recurring monthly revenue is $20,000 and my ad hoc revenue is $10,000 for a total of $30,000 every month. Do it in your personal lives. I know I am successful when I spend four uninterrupted hours with my children on the weekend. I know I am successful when I can go fishing three times during the month uh, on, a, on my own boat out in Biscayne Bay. This phrase, I know I am successful when, is validating and it also psychologically leads you to achieve the goals you set for yourself. A goal being written down is just a number written down. You can review it in the morning and review it at night. It'll have an impact on you. But when you phrase your goals using this phraseology, I know I am successful when, that is powerful because when you achieve that goal, the feeling you take away is that I am a success because I achieved this, okay? Do this for finance, for relationships, for spirituality, for health. I mean, personal income, you can do it for anything, specific relationships in your life. You can do this any, in any number of areas, but it forces you 
to really focus on the things you want to do in order to be successful. So when you think about 2021, when you think about the next year, write your goals down using this phraseology, use the 20 items that we've talked about to plan for the future, and then build your business around that. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You are a holistic person. You don't have a business life and a personal life. You have one life. It's okay to think about all of these things in a holistic way. It's okay to think about these things in a way that intertwines business and personal. The people that tell you to compartmentalize are people who traffic in guilt. Because I know that when you're sitting at the dinner table with your family, there's some times when you're thinking about that client and the problem you have to solve for him. I know there are times when you're sitting across the table from a client and you're thinking about the big math test that your son is taking in school, or you're thinking about the doctor's appointment that your wife has today, or you're thinking about what you're going to do when you have to replace the roof on your house before hurricane season. You're one person. You have one life. Plan your life and your business simultaneously plan them in congruence with each other and use these 20 things to start thinking, these 20 action items to start thinking about how you're going to plan your life and your business in 2021.